and welcome back to In My Opinionation, your weekly Blossom recap podcast. Every week we recap an episode of Blossom and give you our opinionations. Ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this week I'm joined by my co-host Jen and returning this week is guest co-host Tristan. Hey guys. Hello. 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 So we usually start out by saying how you doing, and that's kind of boring. So this week, I want to know, what is the cutest animal you've seen this week? Jen? That I have seen with my own eyes? Or on the internet. I stay in the house now, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I was walking down our trail behind my house yesterday, and there was a daytime raccoon, and he was a chonky boy. Oh, that sounds adorable. I had to slow down because he was just crossing the path. But, you know, you never really see raccoons during the daytime that much. But because where I live is right backing onto a creek and the beachfront and everything, sometimes we get random animals (laughs) in our neighborhood. So it's just a a little chonky raccoon waddling in front of me. Yeah. Oh. Tristan? Yeah, I was actually out at my uh, my parents' place in the country this week, and they have a very adorable family of rabbits that live in some of their front bushes. And uh, yeah, I got to see a couple of them. It wasn't this week, but the, the previous time I visited them, they do this adorable thing to try and, I think it's to try and cool down, but they go in, my parents have a vegetable garden and the bunnies run into the garden. You think they're going to eat something, but no, they flop on their side and like kick around in the dirt. Oh my God. And it's adorable. And at first I had no idea what was happening. I'm like, what's wrong with this damn rabbit? Um, <laughs> but it's the cutest thing. And then they then they run off. I love bunnies. Yeah, I I was also up at Tristan's parents and I unfortunately didn't see any of the bunnies. I happened to just miss them. So my cutest animal this week, there's a lot of dogs that live in our neighborhood. And I saw one that was a teeny little puppy and like so small that he could probably fit in one hand, but he looked like a stuffed animal. Like he had the fur and oh my God, it was the cutest little thing. Oh my God. I was so happy. Every time we see a dog, I get so happy, which is often because there are several dogs in our Mm -hmm. neighborhood. (laughs) So yeah, great. Okay. So this week's episode is Papa's Little Dividend. It's season one, episode 12. It aired on April 8th, 1991. It was written by Nancy Beverly and directed by, you guessed it, Zane Busby. Zane Busby. Zane Busby. Yeah, he did it. (laughs) So a synopsis, a woman from Nick's past returns claiming that Nick is the father of her child. Tony is nervous for a blind date and Joey just wants to read a magazine. (laughs) So some trivia. This episode was the 12th one filmed, which means... It is the first episode to air in the proper order. It feels so right. Yeah. Everything feels like it is where it should be. I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> We're finally on the right track. Yeah. 12th episode film, 12th episode aired. Yeah. You could tell, man. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have anything else? I didn't. This was another one I had trouble finding stuff for. Yeah. It's tough to find trivia for, for Blossom. So we'll just have to make up our own. Um <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's get into it. So, scene one, Blossom and Joey are in the kitchen having a snack. Blossom's making this normal size sandwich while Joey has this just monster sandwich. <laughs> Tony answers, asking if anyone called for him. He's pretty nervous. He starts babbling, saying that if he were her, he wouldn't call. We don't really know what he's talking about. Finally, he explains that a friend's girlfriend is setting him up on a blind date and he's really nervous for it. <sighs> Joey, being Joey, pipes up saying... 
he'd be nervous too because Tony's last blind date should have been pulling a sled in the Yukon. Oh. Joey. Joey. This is the only downside is we're back to this Joey. Yeah. <laughs> I think this kind of, I just do think, uh, I'll comment on this later. I do kind of think it sets up Joey's role in this episode very well. We'll touch on it more later, but I think we should remember mm-hmm. this line that Joey thinks he has such a good call on the quality of women people are dating. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Tony explains that the reason why he's nervous is because this girl is so-called normal she's never been arrested or done drugs and she only wears earrings in her ears <laughs> i love that yeah because there's there was such a stigma back then mm-hmm. nowadays like everyone has a, at least one tattoo and yeah. piercings are not a huge deal back then like if you had one weird piercing like in your nose or something you were a deviant yeah yeah you couldn't get hired like yeah it, no. was, it was a big thing so just then the phone rings and Tony freezes. He's literally unable to answer the phone. So Blossom <laughs> answers it for him. And when he she hands it to him, he puts on this this super deep voice <laughs> to say hello. Man voice. So they presumably she she's calling to set up a date for Friday. And Tony agrees, but he's still super nervous. And he's about to blurt out that he normally goes to an AA meeting on Fridays, mm-hmm. but he catches himself and turns it into a meatless cooking class, <laughs> which these days doesn't sound that weird. But at the time, no. <laughs> like veganism and vegetarianism was was pretty fringe. So he's still really nervous. And he also, as he's hanging up the phone, he ends it by saying, I'll see me then, which I thought was pretty funny. I thought for sure that one of the other characters would comment on that, but nobody does. I almost thought I misheard it. Yeah, the, he he hangs up and he's like, oh, meatless cooking. Like they don't even catch the I'll see. No. But I, I think that's kind of funny that like it just slips right in there. It's great. He's so cute, nervous, like. Yeah. Oh so, my God, the adorable. Yeah. So the, I had that, like, you know, this is a, a new side of Tony mm-hmm. um, that we're seeing. The Tony that we've seen so far has been calm and confident, but here he's so nervous that he he can't even get his words out right. So I'm just wondering how we feel this tracks compared to Tony. Is this a completely new character or just another side of him? I think it's it's him, but it's a new side. So we've seen a couple episodes peppered here and there where he keeps saying he wants to kind of get himself back into what he deems normal society. Yeah. Stop treating me with kid gloves and all of that. Like he's trying to slowly integrate himself. And as much as he wants to, I think in this, we see when it happens, like he still wants it and he's still willing to go for it, but he's still not quite prepared. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting to see him kind of be upset, not upset, but like his equilibrium be upset right. from what we've seen because he's finally taking the leap of like being in society. Right. Tristan, I know you don't know a lot about the series, but do you have any any thoughts on this? Yeah, my thoughts on seeing this character be very bad at talking to women. I couldn't tell if it was he's nervous about talking to this girl because he thinks so highly of her, right? And comments on how she's different from all the other women he's dated. I couldn't tell if it was that versus just in general, he's bad with women. Yeah, so we have seen an episode. There was an episode where he dated a girl that he met in AA and seemed perfectly comfortable around her. So I think what he's nervous about here, and he talks about it a little bit later, is like her finding out about his past because she's normal, right? Like she won't understand what he went through or why, or she'll just, you know, whatever. Yeah. The implication I think is that he has dated women, but they've all kind of 
been in the same circles as him, whereas this is somebody completely new Mm -hmm. and has no knowledge of that life. So it's like revealing his past, but also somebody that doesn't understand it. Right. So Tony hangs up, leaves the room. We get this funny little joke of Blossom saying, I hope he hasn't bitten off more than he can chew, just as Joey has taken this massive bite of a sandwich (laughs) that he clearly can't chew. (laughs) And then the doorbell rings. So Blossom and Joey get up to go see who it is. So we move into the the Russo's living room. Blossom heads to the door. Joey heads upstairs. But he says that if it's Julia Roberts, send her up to his room. Why? Why? I just stopped here. I'm just like, what? (laughs) Why would it be Julia Roberts or why would he want her in his room? Well, like, I I get they want to make this pop culture reference, but I'm just kind of like, what? He could have picked anybody and he's got this idea that Julia Roberts might come. What was Julia Roberts doing in 1991? Yeah, was she in Was she she super hot? Was it Pretty Woman? Oh, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. That would make more sense. I I feel like, because I also have notes that just say why. Yeah. (laughs) And then I have Joey contractual lines. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but he also gets the door to his room wrong. So, so he either, so the two explanations I can come up with is he either can't count or he can't tell his left from his right. Or both. Or both. Or. Pretty Woman was, 1990 was Pretty Woman, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it would have been Pretty Woman, yeah. So he wanted prostitute Julia Roberts. Yeah. So if we want to give Joey the benefit of the doubt, he just never thinks about the linen closet as being a door. Because it doesn't go to a room, right? Like if you're thinking about like, it's the third door on the right and the linen closet is like half a width door, maybe you can count it. But I just think he can't count or he doesn't know his left from his right. I think it's both of those things. (laughs) (laughs) So Blossom opens the door to find this woman, Arlene, standing there. She tells Blossom that she's an old friend of Nick's and... Blossom and asks if he's there and Blossom says no he's at a session and so she asks if she can come in and Blossom is rightfully really wary about that don't let strangers into your house even if they mm-hmm. say they know your parents do you guys remember those stay alert stay safe commercials oh, hell yeah. yeah with the rabbits yeah I'm pretty sure this was one of them this might have just been a Canadian thing to anybody listening but we had these cartoons it was two rabbits and it was like how to not get kidnapped and yeah <laughs> It was one of those PSAs from Concerned Children's Advertisers. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm pretty sure that one of the things is like someone knocks at the door and is like, I'm a friend of your parents. And mm-hmm. like that, don't, don't fall for it. Well, so I, I also had a note here. I don't know if this is common or if she opens the door often, but Blossom just opens the door and says, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was weird too. <laughs> she doesn't say hello or anything. Yeah, she just goes, yeah. Yeah. I, I almost wonder because the Arlene says is this the Russo residence and Blossom says yeah again I wonder if she said her line too early uh, <laughs> like if she's supposed to mm. open the door and Arlene's supposed to say is this the Blossom residence and just then, greet people by going yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even catch that that's funny yeah well and the way she says it too is a little bit like yeah like what do you want <laughs> <laughs> She just sees a woman around her father's age and she's instantly like, nope. Yeah. Who are you? Uh, so so she, the woman asks if she can come in. Blossom is like, uh, and Arlene says, she's, I'm not an axe murderer or a magazine salesman, which I 100% love that those are on the same level. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Yeah. But also that's what they all say. No axe murderer is going to be like, hello, I'm an axe murderer. Can I come in? <laughs> Although maybe that would work. Maybe it would throw the person off so much. <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, oh, you're silly. Come on in. Have yeah, right. Please. That can't be um, true. <laughs> so she she just says, you know, she's, she really just doesn't know how else to get in touch with Nick. And just then 
Nick arrives home. He's on a he's on a break from the recording and came to pick up a tape. And Arlene just walks in and says hi. And Nick's like, oh, hi. And then realizes who it is. Mm -hmm. And you can see on his face that he never thought he would see this person again, especially in his own house. But his daughter's there. So he tries to play it cool and like introduce them. He gets her Mm -hmm. name wrong. (laughs) And Arlene notes that it's been about a year since they saw each other. And mm-hmm. clearly she has something she's talked to Nick about because she's just standing there, like not moving, kind of moving closer to him, like giving him a face of like, this is important. Mm-hmm. So Nick is, tries to be polite. And then Blossom's standing behind her like a creeper. Yeah, yeah. So Nick is kind of like, this is awkward. So he sends Blossom to a room. And Blossom does that thing that I'm sure we've all done where you go halfway up the stairs and then walk quieter and quieter to like make it sound like you keep going up the stairs, but she stays there to spy, which is pretty, pretty, I think that's pretty on brand for Blossom. She's, she's a nosy girl. She is like, she has this weird history of anytime it has to do with her father, even fake parents. She's like, oh, sex talk. I want to hear all of this. Yeah. She, I, yeah, she wants to be involved. So Nick and Arlene make some awkward small talk. And in there, Arlene mentions what restaurant she works at, which is important for later. Mm -hmm. And Nick apologizes for never calling her again, basically saying that he thought they were on the same page and he was never looking for a relationship and he has enough to deal with with three kids. Mm -hmm. And it's here that Arlene drops the bomb. She had a baby and she's pretty sure that it's Nick's. I just have caps of baby daddy drama. (laughs) Yeah. So there's there's a lot to unpack here. First, we have Nick having a one night stand and not calling Arlene. And then we have Arlene waiting three months until after the baby is born to tell Nick that he might be the father. So this kind of gets resolved a little bit later in the episode, but I want to know what your thoughts were at this point. If you thought Nick was in the wrong for never calling Arlene, if Arlene should have called Nick when she found out she was pregnant, obviously it's a really messy situation and I'm not sure there's a right answer, but I wanted to know what your first thoughts were at this point. Arlene at one, at no point, like when Nick says, I thought we understood each other and I didn't think it was a relationship. At no point was she was like, oh, well, I did. Like, she seems to be understanding of that. Yeah. I think they were on the same page at the time. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, so I didn't think badly of Nick in that situation because if they were on the same page and this thing just happened to occur. Yeah. That's not his fault. (laughs) No. Do you think that she should have called him when she found out she was pregnant and decided to keep the baby? Well, we'll get into this a little bit later but was nick the only person she was seeing Mm -hmm. at which point you know i i don't have an answer for this like what is the ethics like do you tell everybody it could be regardless of the number it or yeah yeah i think at at this point she's presented it in a manner where she's never said like she's implied and like pretty much said it's his baby right she comes in and says you have four kids now and here's a picture of them so she does imply that she believes it's his kid Mm -hmm. as far as like what Nick and her think their relationship was up to that point doesn't really matter because she now she's implied that it is his kid. So regardless of how they got there mm-hmm. or who said what, as far as the lead up to it, she's implied that he has another kid yeah, now. Yeah. And that's the situation. That's true. I also wonder what the science was like at the time, because I'm pretty sure today you can do paternity tests before the baby's born. Like they can take mm. cells. So if that were the case, then they could have done this before the baby was born if she wasn't sure. Yeah. But if at the time it was something they couldn't do until after the baby's born, then it makes more sense for her to wait. That's That was my thought too. Yeah, it's... Well, the timing also like, so yeah, she says a year. So like 
you know, the baby's been around for a couple months now, and now she's decided to come find him. I don't know if we're trying to believe that it took her three months to track him down uh, or how to how that plays out. But she does talk about the timeline being a year. Yeah. Hmm. That the baby's obviously been born for a while. So I'm not quite sure. It's unclear to me at this point, like, why she's come to find him. That's not really brought up at all. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of odd that she says that she doesn't know how else to reach him than by going to his house. Now, presumably in the 90s, well, not presumably, in 90, 91, no one had a cell phone. So it wasn't like your phone number was changing often. Like, you know, you get a cell phone, you move somewhere, you change your phone number. So if she knows where she li- where he lives and he still lives there, then chances are his phone number is still the same phone number that she would have had a year ago. So... Or it's in the phone book. Yeah. She has his full name. Like, yeah. And knows mm-hmm. the address. So like... it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird at the beginning of the episode, the ethics of it are weird just because we don't know the situation. I think it's laid out pretty clearly that this was never supposed to be a relationship. So I think that half of it, there's no real ethic quandary, but yeah, definitely the question of when should mm-hmm. she have told him. And it's true, Tristan, like you said, like she comes in pretty damn confident yeah. about it, which we find out later yeah. is muddy, we'll but we'll you know, <laughs> so we cut to the next scene. Joey is in his bedroom, on his bed, reading a dirty magazine when Tony knocks on the door. So he mm-hmm. hastily shoves the magazine under his bed and then just tries to sit like and act as natural as possible, which he's <laughs> he's really, really bad at. So yeah. Tony immediately knows what's going on. But he, he jumps to why he was there in the first place. And he's asking uh, Joey for, for date ideas, which one, that seems like a weird person to ask because yeah. we know that Joey is not smooth at all. But also... I'm a little confused on this whole date setup because the girl called Tony. So presumably she just said, let's go for a date on Friday. Figure it out. (laughs) Wouldn't you, when you ask someone on a date, have a thing that you want to do with them? Depends on the person. I think there is still a certain degree of not hashtag not all women, but, um, you know, the idea of if you're going on a date, it's like the guy's responsibility to take care of it. Yeah. Well, certainly in the nineties, I think that was, that's what I mean. It's an old idea. It's a much older idea than obviously what we have now, but you know, the dude pays for it or he plans it, it, which is bullshit, but yeah, it was more prevalent. My understanding of the setup here is they've given the girl his phone number and it's up to her if she wants to like connect and go on a date, Mm -hmm. but then it's up to him to pick her up and take her on a date. Yeah. Okay. So it's a crap system. (laughs) (laughs) So in a little bit of a twist, Joey makes a good suggestion. He suggests that they go to the museum. But surprise, it's not a twist at all. He means the wax museum. Ugh, nobody should go to a wax museum. I've never been to a wax museum. And I kind of want to go just so I can say that I've been to Like, I want to go to the, one of those shitty ones in Niagara Falls. Well, you know my thing. So nobody should go to a wax Yeah. Well, you don't need to go. <laughs> I have. You have? Uh, to one of the ones in Niagara or a good one? There used to be a Tussauds in... Niagara. Okay. I'm Madame Tussauds. Okay. So just to quantify this, I have a slight, it's not terrible, but a slight phobia of wax mannequins and like basically anything that looks real, but is not real. It's called automatomophobia. And it's sort of an uncanny valley. Like if something looks real enough that it could come alive and attack me, I don't want it. So (laughs) 
I think, uh, didn't we once find out the root of this was that children's show, Today's Special? It didn't help. <laughs> Today's Special, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Had a lot of things coming alive and killing people. Well, Today's Special didn't kill anybody. He was just a friendly man. Yeah, but then they all came alive. At, and I don't, <laughs> there was a lot of children's programming when we were growing up where inanimate things would come to life. And whether yeah. they were nice or not, I don't know. It like It's just weird. So you don't like Toy Story? No, Toy Story is fine because... Because toys don't look like real people that can come alive and kill me. Oh, okay. I got it. And if you walk into a wax museum, I mean, some of them are crap, but some of the mannequins are good enough that if you're standing right beside them, I will literally get physical sensations of thinking I see them move out of the corner of my eye. Yeah, I understand that. So I did a weird bit of research just because that's where my brain went when he said wax museum. So I looked up Madame Tussauds, which of course is a super famous wax museum. That woman lived a wild life. Can I talk about her for a hot second? Yes, you can. Okay. So the real Madame Tussaud, her first name was Marie. Uh, She was born in 1769 in France. So when she was at the age of seven, her and her mother went to live with a family friend who was a doctor and he was known for his wax modeling of like anatomical figures and whatnot. So he started teaching her everything she knew and he also did some portraiture. So she got so good at this that the French nobility took notice and she started tutoring the king's sister in art. Now, this happened around the time of the French Revolution (laughs) when you didn't want to be associated with the royal family. Mm -hmm. So when the French Revolution started up, she was basically associated as a sympathizer and very narrowly escaped the guillotine. Wow. Because they realized she was a wax artist and they needed somebody to make death masks. So she had all this friends and family in the castle and they'd be like, well, we just killed Marie Antoinette. Here's her head. We need you to make a death mask of her face. No, thanks. That was her only way to escape being killed. So she was doing this for the French Revolution. Can you even imagine? Like she was just getting fresh heads of people that that she used to hang out with. I just want to point out that you said the, the term fresh heads. Fresh heads. Sounds like a fish market. Uh, No, it sounds like it sounds like Dave Grohl, fresh pots, fresh pots. (laughs) Everyone, if you've never seen the video, fresh pots of Dave Grohl having a caffeine addiction, please go look at it. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what she did to escape being killed during the French Revolution. Eventually, she escaped to the UK and set up shop, did the first exhibition of her wax figures. And that's how we got Madame Tussauds. Are you saying she's actually getting dead corpses to make these lifelike wax figures? Yes. So death masks were a very uh, weirdly typical thing before. Like you see that sort of thing, mummification in Egypt and death masks were- Oh no, I meant for her exhibition. Oh, very possibly. I would not be surprised (laughs) if she happened to know some famous people or whatever. So the thing I already didn't like, I decided to deep dive on and now it's extra horrifying to me. Now you think about it all the time. All the time. (laughs) Got it. Well, on that note, (laughs) so, so Tony is just like Jen let down by this advice to go to a wax Yes. <laughs> I don't know what he was expecting from Joey. And then Joey notices that Tony has a bunch of papers in his hand. Tony explains that his blind date really likes to travel. So he's going to read up on a bunch of travel destinations to try to impress her. Aww. And Joey's, you know, he's trying to be supportive. And he's like, you know, Tony, you've been to lots of places that she probably hasn't been, like the Betty Ford Clinic. <laughs> Zing. Zing, yeah. Wow. So, so Tony's 
pretty frustrated. He he really needs something to inter- interesting to talk about. He doesn't want to talk about his past, but Joey just doesn't seem to notice this about Tony, which is pretty typical of of Joey. And he suggests that that Tony tell his date about the time he was strip searched, which Tony go, ends up going on a sarcastic rant. You know, I, I should tell him, tell her all about my mom leaving and my mm-hmm. GED and my LSD trips and my alcoholism. And he kind of just storms out of the room. He just wants to connect with someone, you know, in all seriousness here. Perhaps that is a lot to drop on a person on a first date. Yes. But don't you want to go into a relationship with honesty? What happens if they don't talk about these things and she finds out six months later? I think the first date is where you suss out if you even have a connection with the person, Mm -hmm. regardless of what your pasts are. If you don't even have any sort of spark to begin with, why would you give them that information? That's how I personally feel about it. If you do have a connection to the point where you think maybe this could go somewhere, that to me would be like a second date sort of situation yeah i don't think this is all like this isn't first date information no but he's trying to be someone else for this first date so you can be yourself without telling them about your troubled past right like i Mm -hmm. think that's where there's a bit of a disconnect here there's no way that she's going to be able to see if she wants to have a second date with him if he doesn't act like himself. Oh, yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying there. Like, yeah, that's so tough, though, because he's still relatively young. Like we they've never said his age, but we figure he's what, like 20? I think, yeah, early 20s, 2021. Yeah. So to be that young and have that be the majority of your young adult life like Mm -hmm. what else do you talk about yeah but at the same time you don't want to load that on it's complicated yeah I mean yeah I I think I think if he tried hard enough he could find other things he could talk about like we know he's saving up for a motorcycle like that kind (laughs) of stuff you know, no but like seriously like that's something that he could you know oh I'm really into motorcycles that you know da 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 you don't need to be like, do you want to see my cool pepperoni pizza trick? Yeah. Yeah. You can show us. <laughs> yeah. So Tony, Tony leaves. Joey tries to go back to his magazine, but Blossom bursts in. She's so upset that she doesn't even knock. So she tries to explain what happened, but she's really fl- flustered. So she can't quite get the words out right. She says that dad's in trouble. Well, actually it's his girlfriend, but she's not really his girlfriend. And she just kind of gives up on trying to explain. And gets Joey to come downstairs with her. And when he doesn't really want to, she tells him that there's ice cream and cake. Which of course works. Yes, of course. So we cut back to the kitchen. Nick is on the phone. He looks very serious and upset. He's arranging a paternity test. Um, so presumably talking to a lab or to mm-hmm. his lawyer about what's what's going to happen next and what this could mean. So he hangs up the phone, tries to go into the living room, but smacks Blossom and Joey in the head with the door because obviously they're eavesdropping behind the door. What a great gag. Yeah. Joey <laughs> Joey immediately sells Blossom out, saying that it was all her idea. And Blossom is just appalled. She would never sell Joey out and then immediately tells dad that he was reading dirty magazines. Which, like, is that even new information, though? No. <laughs> Come on, Blossom. Not at all. <laughs> so then she confronts Nick about Arlene and the baby. She ends up explaining the whole thing to Joey, including the fact that she was listening from the stairs. And Joey is thoroughly surprised. How could his father not have used protection? Oh, see, I didn't read that as surprise. I read this as another sick burn of like, Nick is always saying, if you're going to have sex, use protection. So it's Joy being like, dad, didn't you use protection? Like, that's how you thought it was like, oh, like, take your own advice. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) he's probably not smart enough for that. But that's how I heard it. (laughs) Yeah, I would have thought that if it was anyone else. I would agree with you, Jen, but... (laughs) 
In this case, yeah, I just thought it was Joey. Okay. Being like, aha, I have this knowledge. Let me bestow upon you what I remember. I gave yeah. him too much credit. Yeah, that's what I thought it was, was like, don't you know? Like, you know, like him trying to feed <laughs> his dad. Like, yeah. Genuinely like, hey, remember. <laughs> so, so then Nick has to explain that no method of birth control is 100% foolproof and nikki uh, nikki uh, joey's world is just thoroughly <laughs> rocked by this new revelation that like they're not a hundred percent safe i will say joey lawrence's face acting yeah in this as like you can see him figuring it out and being like oh no i can never have safe sex if i have sex yeah because he's never had sex at this point right no. <laughs> yeah so it's, it's not it's not an oh no all those girls i slept with might be pregnant it's just yeah. a, oh no like there's no way to do it yeah <laughs> yeah so blossom tries to get more information out of nick but he puts his foot down saying he's not going to discuss the issue with the children and conveniently joey leaves the room and so blossom then asks if they can discuss it now that joey's gone and i just wrote zing another dunk on joey <laughs> whoever wrote the script who would you say the person the script writer is nancy beverly nancy beverly you were on fire this episode yeah my god yeah so blossom keeps digging nick keeps shooting her down rightfully so it's none of her business he's still grappling with what this means mm -hmm. um so he tells her you know he's the adult he doesn't need to justify his action to a 14 year old girl and he tells her you know this isn't a regular thing for me this is not something i'm proud mm -hmm. of it happened and i need to deal with it but i don't need to discuss this with you i don't need yeah. to run my life by you which he doesn't need to justify his life to his kids but the implications will affect his kids depending on the outcome oh 100 percent. i think this is another instance of what we discussed last episode with nick being very reactionary he's yeah. clearly not had any time to process this on his own yeah. and blossom's just sitting there being like what does this mean what are we mm -hmm. doing like needling him about it and he needs he he does need to explain what happened because she chose to listen in but right now he needs to figure it out himself before yeah. he can discuss anything with her yeah so he also says to her you know we don't know anything for sure now we're going to do a paternity test but i don't think this is my kid and she says well what if it is and he says that he'll do the right thing and then just like walks away which you know i just said that he does need to process it himself but just saying do the right i'm going to do the right thing and not explaining what that is mm -hmm. is a really weird way to leave things with your daughter who is very clearly upset about this and who is not old enough to be able to suss out what he means by do the right thing which we'll see like do the right thing could mean any number of things yeah to somebody who is a kid and already spiraling out, that is a situation where I do think he should have said, this is what I'm going to do, but we're not going there right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's fully processed what he's going to do. No. When he says do the right thing at this point in the episode, my takeaway was he wants to calm Blossom down and not have her freak out about it while he still tries to figure out what is he actually going to do. Right. And I think he purposely leaves it vague because like do the right thing could mean all sorts of stuff as mm -hmm. Blossom rightly mm -hmm. points out. Like she has an idea about what it is and it could be something completely different. I agree. Like he could do better here, but for someone trying to deal with this, I think he was trying to deal with that and then not ready to deal with Blossom also trying to deal with it. Yeah. So... We move to Blossom's bedroom. Six is spending the night again, as she does. <laughs> and Blossom's just stuck on this, this baby daddy thing and the phrase do the right thing. She doesn't know what it means. But it turns out that she hasn't really told Six the whole story yet. She's just been kind of pacing and ranting about what does do the right thing mean. Mm -hmm. So she agrees to tell Six the story, but only after Six 
swears on her hair and agrees <laughs> and agrees that if she tells anyone, Blossom gets to tell everybody about the Ricky Larson tongue incident, which I want to know what that is. That's my note. I'm like, what is it though? Yeah. Oh, so this isn't actually a thing that's come up yet. No. no. But apparently it's a big enough deal to like make that stake on. Yeah. So Blossom shares the whole story with Six and Six just gets super excited about it, saying that the same thing is happening on Days of Our Lives. <laughs> oh my, yeah. Because life is a TV show, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Blossom's just spiraling, saying that she's going to have a new stepmother and a baby sister. So she clearly thinks that do the right thing means that Nick is going to marry Arlene. So Blossom, just to jump to the most dramatic version of what could happen. Yeah, I think I think it's on brand for Blossom to jump to conclusions. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this tracks for a girl whose mother left four years ago. You know, her parents couldn't stay together to finish raising her. So why does she think that Nick would marry a random woman just because they had a baby together? Yeah, I think that's her thinking of what is the right thing and the right thing isn't her mom leaving, right? So for me, it made sense because like when she thinks about her parents, her mom leaving is a bad thing and not the right thing. It's kind of how I saw her jumping to this conclusion that like Nick would have to marry her to do the right thing. And also just the, I always hate to say society, but like Mm -hmm. literally society is again, like blended families are more of a thing now back then. The idea of a a shotgun wedding, so to speak, was maybe more accepted. Like, obviously you have to marry her now because she's pregnant. Right. Yeah. And that was strange too, right? Because it's not just she was pregnant. She had the kid and then months later has now presented this option. So it feels Mm -hmm. like a, uh, I understand how Blossom got there. Yeah. All right. So Six asked Blossom what she knows about Arlene and all Blossom knows is that she's fertile. (laughs) 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 I mean, it's true. That's really all she knows. So, So Six then wonders if Arlene maybe tricked Nick into getting pregnant like she saw in Geraldo. So I did a little bit of research on what Geraldo was. So it was a daytime tabloid talk show hosted by Geraldo Rivera Mm -hmm. that ran from 1987 to 1988. From what I've read, it seems kind of along the lines of a Jerry Springer, Maury Povich Mm -hmm. type show. But one of its most notable episodes, they had as their guests KKK members, neo-Nazis, anti-racism activists, and Jewish activists because they wanted to talk about racism and, you know, all that stuff. And it resulted in an all-out brawl involving not only the guests, but also audience members, stagehands, and Geraldo himself, with Geraldo being hit in the face with a chair and fracturing his nose. Oh, my God. Yeah. What? Can I find this online? (laughs) Probably. I don't know. I don't know if the video's online, but probably. Um, So this was the type of show that he did, right? was like hot button issues, put people from opposing sides on stage and watch the sparks Mm -hmm. fly. So Six explains that the episode she saw was about women who go after rich guys and Blossom's confused because her dad isn't rich. So Six proposes that maybe he pretends to be rich to get women like the guy she saw on Oprah. I love the constant fantasy world that Six lives in. Yeah. It's so great. (laughs) Well, I think think she does a very good job of like trying to find ways to rationalize her idea. Do you know what I mean? Like instead of just being like, oh yeah, you're right. Your dad isn't rich. That doesn't work. She's like, well, no, what if this was the thing? And then my, (laughs) you know. So they they agree that they need to find out more about Arlene. So Six proposes that these two 14-year-old girls hire a detective and mm-hmm. Blossom's like, no, like that's, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I'll do it myself. Uh-huh. Shenanigans. So <laughs> Blossom and Six 
go to the restaurant. It's this snooty French bistro. All the diners are in suits and fancy dresses. The waiter has this snooty French accent. And Blossom and Six are sort of in spy outfits, which (laughs) just seem to be their typical outfits with their typical hats. But then also Blossom has sunglasses. Yeah. Blossom is dressed like a middle-aged woman again, which she seems to think is going out to dinner clothing. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's tough to tell because like, obviously they, they wanted to dress up as inconspicuous, but it's every scene. I'm like, well, that's an interesting choice. Mm -hmm. And this one, it was just like, what, do they think this is what people wear to a fancy restaurant? I guess so. But I like that they both had hats. We'll blend right in with my neon green hat. Yeah. Yeah. So Blossom tips the maitre d' a whole dollar, <laughs> thinking that she's all sophisticated. <laughs> From her wad of $1 bills. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah, pulls out her little dollar, thinks that she knows how the world works. You got to grease the help. So, and then we get this funny moment where the maitre d' tries to call their server, Francois, over. And he tries calling Francois twice. And then when Francois doesn't respond, he just yells, Frank. I love that. I want to be in that situation where I go to a fancy restaurant and like catch someone in a put on. Yeah. That is what I want. (laughs) So Blossom then spots Arlene and Six immediately doesn't like her, saying that she's just pretending to work hard. The waiter comes over to take their their order blossom kind of deflects and six wants to leave because this is an expensive restaurant Mm -hmm. they can't afford anything here and just then arlene shows up to ask if they've been helped and blossom's like no we're good thanks arlene (laughs) so arlene knows something's up six tries to play it off by being like oh she's just good at guessing names Yeah, I guess your weight. Yeah, like how did these two children even get a table at this place? Like the first thing I thought of is Ferris Bueller, where they pull like the sausage king of Chicago scam. And yeah. that's the only way they're allowed in as 15 year olds. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Like I can't picture anybody actually being like, yeah, sure. You don't have parents. Come on in. <laughs> at the fancy restaurant, the remember? Fancy restaurant. Yeah. yeah. So Arlene knows exactly what's what's going on and why they're there. She says that Blossom probably thinks they're ter- that she's a terrible person. And she launches into a speech to defend herself, talking about how difficult it is to be a single mother. You know, she doesn't sleep. She doesn't make a ton of money. And we have this this moment could have been really sappy and, and really cliche. But to lighten the mood and keep it kind of in the sitcom reality, they have a violinist that comes over and starts serenading the table. Amazing. Yeah. Adding this sappy, like sad song underneath. So brilliant. Yeah, it was so brilliant. So Arlene's going on this rant and just like stops mid rant. And tells the the violinist to take a hike. Oh, I think it's important to know his name's Vinny. Vinny. Um, Vinny the violinist. Yeah. (laughs) So Arlene then just tries to pull on Blossom's heartstrings saying, you know, how would you feel if if your dad wasn't around, if you grew up without a dad? Blossom says, well, I'm growing up without my mom. Mm -hmm. You get the violin bit again with Blossom talking (laughs) about her mom. Arlene kind of softens when, when, you know, Blossom opens up to her and she says, you know what? You're here. How about some sodas? Six presses her luck by asking for lobsters, which when you were 14, would you have gotten excited about a lobster or would you have wanted the burger? I would have wanted the chicken fingers. Yeah. (laughs) Tristan? I would have been happy with the soda. Yeah. I've already got caught sneaking into the restaurant and I just said out loud that I thought she was a conniving something or other. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I would have been happy with the soda and not being kicked out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also just don't know what 14 year old is like, ooh, lobsters. Yeah, but Six always wants to be so sophisticated. So whether she wanted it or not, that's true. Probably just seemed like the right thing to eat there. Ask for her fair. That's true. So we cut back to the Russo house. Tony and Nick are both pacing in the kitchen. Tony is waiting to go pick up his date. He's really nervous. And Nick is waiting for the paternity test results. 
So Tony asks Nick how he's feeling and Nick says that he's feeling bad about the whole situation and everyone involved, but he's doubly feeling bad for himself. So we have Tony returning to Tony after our little departure from last episode Mm -hmm. where he gives Nick some pretty good advice, which is, you know, focus on the positive, you know, the stuff you're grateful for. And Nick is grateful for his hair. But when he runs his hand through it, a bunch falls out. In in addition to that being a great moment, I don't know if you guys caught, you can hear Tony in the background. Nick goes, I'm grateful for my hair. And Tony goes, hey. And then as Nick's like looking at his hand, you can hear Tony go, oh. <laughs> I didn't hear that. So Tony then asks Nick what he's going to do if he is the baby's father. And Nick responds that he'll be the baby's father, which I think mm-hmm. is pretty solid of him. Well, even when he's saying... Like, I I feel bad for everyone. He says he feels bad for himself twice, which is funny. Yeah. But he says Arlene first. Like, he is thinking of her first. And the baby. And the baby. So he does have the best intentions. Yeah. He knows, like, this this situation is nobody's fault. They nobody didn't call anybody back. She never really wanted him to call back. She just, you know, now that she has this kid, she does. But Mm -hmm. at the time, no, everybody did what they were supposed to do. And sometimes things happen. Yep. So we cut to Blossom and Joey in the living room. Joey's watching TV. Blossom's reading a book. Joey then turns off the TV and he very seriously asks Blossom why they never talk. (laughs) Blossom's pretty dismissive, but then Joey says he's been thinking about some stuff and seems pretty serious. So Blossom closes her book and tries to earnestly engage with Joey. And it turns out that what he's been thinking about is some Disney characters, specifically Mickey, Jiminy Cricket, and Donald Duck and their varying wardrobes. This is this runner during this scene was I had to rewatch the scene for the serious bits because I was laughing so hard at this runner because it's something I would have a debate over. <laughs> well, but this is also like this is the Joey I love. This yeah. is the I hit it in my head, Joey. Yes. Like, where he's just very seriously concerned about why Mickey Mouse has gloves, Jiminy Cricket has a full suit, and Donald Duck doesn't even get pants. Like <laughs> It's yeah. so good. This is this is like I picture like college kids or high school kids sitting around and, and trying to deal with the question is a hot dog a sandwich, right? Yeah. This is, yeah. Like the, this is exactly the silly it. debates you get into where you're just kind of like, I can't solve it. What do you think? But but why? But I think the thing here is that to Joey, it's not a silly debate. He's no. genuinely concerned about why Donald Duck doesn't get pants. You know, like, like he's been ruminating over this for yeah. so long. Why can't Donald Duck have <laughs> pants? So so then Tony enters. Joey asks Tony, how come we never talk? And Blossom just, no, 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 don't, don't get into it. You don't want to get into it. So then Nick enters and the phone rings. Everyone pauses. They know what it is. It rings a couple times. Nick gets up the courage. He answers the phone. He's very serious. He's saying yes to a bunch of questions. Plot twist. It's Tony's date. <laughs> so this time, instead of answering in a low voice, Tony, you know, clears his, clears his throat and he answers in this high pitched voice. <laughs> Again, very nervous. So cute. This this bit also was another part I just thought was hilarious. Yeah. So his date is running late. So it's okay because he's been running late too because he's been spending the afternoon with a recovering, he's going to say recovering addict, catches mm-hmm. himself and changes it to uncle. And he explains that his uncle is recovering from leprosy, but that no, no, that's not why he was in the <laughs> hospital. The reason he was in the hospital was because he was driving and all of a sudden his hands <laughs> fell off and he crashed into a bus. Oh my God, the escalator. He hangs up the phone and double hand palms, just like 
what did I do? He also says goodbye after hanging up the phone. <laughs> he hangs up the phone and says goodbye. I didn't, it's just a great scene. Yeah, and, and Nick is just like, he's just watched his most confident child <laughs> completely fall to pieces. Like, what? he's, he's, can't believe what he just saw. Well, I think too, for Nick, it's like, Tony is his second parent, so to speak. And this is the guy that just tried to give him like sage life advice yeah. and just made him feel better about myself. And then he completely fell apart. So I yeah. think for Nick, it's like, a, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, so Tony explains that he becomes an idiot whenever he talks to this girl. And Nick, Nick replies, you are who you are. <laughs> this writer, this this episode was so well written. I want this person to come back and write everything. I, I hope she does. We'll have to see. She's great. So Nick explains that what he actually meant was that Tony is a great person who was very brave in facing his demons and overcoming addiction. So he doesn't need to like pretend to be someone else. You are a fantastic person who you are. So Tony thanks Nick for being a supportive father and heads out to pick up his date. And then Joey tries one more time asking Nick why they never talk. But Nick already knows where this is going and just replies, Joey, he doesn't need pants. He has feathers. Amazing. <laughs> so such good writing. I, oh my God. Clearly this is a conversation Joey has had several times. <laughs> yeah. And has forgotten that he's brought it up before. Yeah. The reveal here that this is an ongoing thing he's been thinking about. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, maybe it was just today, but I've got to assume it's longer than just today. Oh, yeah. And he says, write it down this time. Yeah. Yeah. So Joey, Joey then takes off. So it's just Blossom and Nick. Blossom try, tries to apologize to Nick in her own way by saying that she really likes Arlene and, you know, that she went and checked her out at the restaurant. And Nick is very upset. Mm-hmm. But Blossom says, well, if she's going to be my stepmom, I need to know who she is. So... Nick then explains that doing the right thing doesn't mean marriage. He married Blossom's mom for love and that didn't work out. So there's no reason to expect that marrying a stranger would work out any better. Yeah. And we're now at the point where Nick basically has to explain to Blossom that this was a one night stand. And as he explains that they were two consenting adults reaching out for someone. I feel like this must have been a big thing to talk about in 91. Like not only just talking about premarital sex, but one night stands and not making it seem like a terrible thing that it's it's okay yeah the whole conversation of destigmatizing sex for what it is Mm -hmm. and not even just having that conversation like with a peer you know with your own age group but having to be a parent explaining it to your daughter while also saying you know don't hang out with that (laughs) yeah right like don't just have sex with boys like make sure but meanwhile but i also think the way he explains it as well like he specifically says adults like yeah you know there's a difference between saying like one night stands are okay and saying we are adults who know what we're doing Mm -hmm. you know he's not saying that like children (laughs) no 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 but you can see on blossom's face like the glass shattering a little bit of everything she'd been taught up until this point is kind of not being ruined but it's getting way more complicated yeah there's more nuance to life than she than she yeah thought. and she yeah. says that she says that she she can't she doesn't think that she can handle it and it is a lot for a 14 year old to handle mm-hmm. and nick rightly points out that well if she had gone up to her room like he asked and hadn't eavesdropped then she wouldn't have to handle it and that's that's why he asks her to do what she does or what he does right he he knows that this is something that's going to be way too heavy for his 14 year old daughter to deal with so she mm-hmm. shouldn't have to but she chose to spy and now she has to deal with it yep so the phone rings again they know what it is 
Nick tells Blossom to go up to her room and she tries to stay on the stairs again, but he says, no, all the way up. I need to deal with this and then I can help you deal with it. She doesn't learn. Like she is the nosiest little, ugh, that made me mad. Yeah. So he answers the phone. We only hear his side of the conversation. We don't really know whether it's good news or bad news. And I say good news with a grain of salt because he does care about Arlene and what happens to her kid. He hangs up the phone runs his hands through his hair and we get that little bit of him pulling out some more hair. (laughs) So Nick goes to see Arlene at the restaurant. Before we get into the scene, I want to talk about the set because this is kind of the point where I really noticed what was going on with this set. So it appears to be a living room set that they've redressed as a restaurant. And the thing that really got to me was that there's powder blue carpet. Yeah, if I got walked into this restaurant and it's supposed to be a fancy restaurant, I I would have immediately been like, um... I'm going to order the least complicated thing on this menu. Thanks. (laughs) Just like restaurants and kitchens with carpet. Like, no, food gets dropped on the floor. You can't clean that. Terrible idea. Yeah. All right. So now that I've I've talked about that, let's actually talk about the scene. (laughs) So Nick and Arlene both got the call from the lab. As Maury Povich would say, Nick, you are not the father. And then he gets up and goes, yeah. Yeah. So they sit down to talk. Arlene explains that she had a feeling that Nick wasn't the father, but she wanted him to be. Mm -hmm. So now we get some more information about Arlene. Nick just assumes that there are, there's a list of guys that she must have slept with. Yeah, rude. And she pushes back against him saying like, why would you assume that? You have no reason to assume that. There's only one other guy and it's my ex. Mm -hmm. And Nick again is kind of antagonistic saying, oh, you didn't want to bother him. And Arlene says, well, no, I would love to, but I can't find him. I can't track him down. He's, you know, fallen off the face of the earth. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. But Arlene says, you know, it's tough, but I can handle it. And we get our third violin bit here. (laughs) So Jen, this made me remember, do you remember learning the rule of three in theater classes? I do. So the idea is if you're going to do something in a play or in this case, Mm -hmm. a show, it should come in threes. And this episode is a really great example of that. So we have the violin bit recurring three times. We have Joey asking people why they never talk three times. And we have coming up Uh, In the next scene, the third instance of Joey trying to read his magazine. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I I actually want to look into this. I don't know if you remember what the psychology is of the rule of three, but it's basically the idea with comedy writing or improv or whatever you're doing, that something is funny three times because three times is a callback and the fourth time is overdoing it. Yeah. And two times it just seems out of place. Yeah. You know, we did um, a theater piece, Jen and I in university where it used like live theater and also some video projection. And we had to make sure that we did the video projection three times. Otherwise the audience is going to be like, that was weird. Like why was there video? So yeah, that's, that's kind of the rule of three. Mm hmm. So Arlene says that she's sure that Nick would have been a great father to her baby and that Blossom is a great example of that. And then she asks if his other two kids are as special and as smart as Blossom. And Nick just kind of deflects by being like, well, you know, they're they're special. All of my children are special. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, Arlene has to get back to work. So they kind of end their chat with Nick being very sweet and saying, you know, I can't offer a lot, but if you ever need to talk. Mm -hmm. 
please call me. And I thought that was really nice of him. But like also who has that conversation in the middle of their workplace in front right? of all of their coworkers? <laughs> yeah, it looked like the restaurant wasn't quite open yet because there were no other customers. So, but I thought this was a good touch point because they just kind of established that Nick and Arlene are, are in, kind of in the same situation, right? Their partners kind of left and they're mm-hmm. now raising kids or kids on their own. So like, I mean, I, I think it was a good way to leave this off of offering to like, talk about it, but not taking on that responsibility. Yeah. I think was a good way to. Yeah. I I think we just going back to that ethical question that we kind of had at the beginning of the episode, I think this scene and realizing what Arlene has gone through as well, kind of helps understand her psych, like why she was thinking what she was. She's like, well, I don't have a husband. He doesn't have a wife, but he's a really nice guy. Maybe between the two of us, we could have two parents for our kids. Yeah. Yeah. Fill that void that each of us is missing. Yeah. So that makes it make sense a little more. Mm -hmm. So it's nice. It humanizes her. Yeah. I also like, you know, it would be very easy with this story for her to be, you know, that like blood sucking, you know, Mm -hmm. just wants, you know, his money, blah, blah, blah. And, and they didn't do that. They really humanized her here, which I thought was, was really, really nice. Yeah. Back at the Russos, Nick arrives home to Joey and Blossom in the living room. He tells them that his chat with Arlene went well and he thinks that she'll be okay. Joey being Joey and thinking only of himself and sex, he says that this situation is really going to ruin his first sexual experience. And Blossom lets him know that that's okay because there's going to be a lot about his first sexual experience that's going to ruin it. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah. So good. So then Joey decides, I'm going to go upstairs and read a magazine, but Nick cleaned under Joey's bed and threw them all out. (laughs) Then Tony returns home from his date in great spirits. He said he decided to tell his date the truth about his life. And he went all the way in. He told her about his life. He told her about Nick and the baby. And the girl hated all of them. The entire Russo family. She even hated Blossom's name. (laughs) But he explains that he's happy because... He also hated her. She may have been normal, but she was dull. Mm -hmm. So then we're left with just Nick and Blossom again for our father-daughter episode wrap-up. Blossom apologizes to Nick. She says, you know, I thought about it and I was wrong. I shouldn't have spied. I shouldn't have gotten involved. And Nick accepts her apology, but admits that he's also not proud of the whole situation. Mm -hmm. And Blossom, you know, says, you know, it's hard, hard to think about your parents as actual people and not just your parents. And that she always put him on a pedestal and it was tough to see him fall off of it. But it's okay because the pedestal was only about a foot high. (laughs) They hug and we end the episode. Yeah. So I I didn't want to comment too much till we got to the end here. So there was kind of, for me, a good running theme here of this like maturity of dealing with these issues and expectation around like sex and relationships. And so we've got, I've just kind of got some notes I'm going to go through. Mm -hmm. So we got Joey, right? Mm -hmm. Who's on the one end of the spectrum with his magazines. He's a virgin, unaware that condoms don't work all the time. (laughs) And like, you know, is learning about these outcomes of these different relationships or like anticipating sex, but still dealing with it by looking at magazines rather than talking to girls. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Tony who's actively like dating people, right? And he's worried about like impressing normal, quote, air quotes, girls. And then kind of comes this realization at the end here of like not worth trying to hide who he is. That line from Nick earlier that was kind of in jest of like, you are who you are, Mm -hmm. right? Kind of comes full circle understanding like Nick saying he he married 
Blossoms Moms for Love, you know, Joey understanding that like just trying to impress a normal girl because that's what he thinks he should do probably isn't going to work out too well for him. Mm -hmm. And then finally, like Nick, uh, you know, he's divorced, having casual sex and like worried about the repercussions of another kid. And I think it's really Blossom who learns from this one of like this idea of like doing the right thing is different than getting married and having a stepmom. Mm -hmm. And like her dad's more than just her dad. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so like I, I feel like in this last I don't, I don't know, five minutes, all three of these kind of really come together as like, there's these three different guys in her life dealing with maturity around these topics in like three very different ways. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So jumping off that, why don't we head into our lesson of the week? So Jen, what was your lesson? My my most basic one is, you know, your parents are people too, which is a very simple sentence, but it is a very complicated thing to come to terms with. Yeah. <laughs> And I was finding even into my early 20s, like as more and more stories, my mom and dad thought they could tell me more things and not getting offended. I was like, you told me for years not to do that thing. And now I'm learning you did it all the time. Yeah. So your parents are people too. Like we're all just trying to get through life, you know? Tristan? Uh, yeah, I, I put down face life head on, mm. you know, this running theme of like face your demons, do the right thing. This kind of idea of like, even Blossom does this and like going to spy on Arlene, right? It's kind of deal with what's in, right in front of you, but don't try and like, um, like, yeah, just dealing with it and not mm -hmm. like being too nervous to talk on the phone or however else you're trying to process, like being uncomfortable with the situation, you know, lots of stuff is going to happen. And if you don't, if you don't deal with it now, you're just going to have to deal with it later. Yep. So I had something a little different. So mine was don't snoop. You could learn things you don't want to know or aren't equipped to deal with. Well, because Excellent. I think, I think it's a like the big issue here no, is that Blossom learned something that was way too like mature and complicated for her to fully process. Right. And if she had just not been nosy, she wouldn't have to deal with something that's beyond her maturity level. And she has a terrible history of spying on people. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm super nosy too, but I, in that situation, I would have been like, I probably am not equipped to deal with whatever's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So our outfit of the week, Tristan, why don't you kick us off here? Sure. So there wasn't too much going on I saw in this episode, but I, the, the one I came back to multiple times was just the, the costume Blossom has on at the start of the episode. So at first it doesn't seem too bad, but then you stare at it for a bit and <laughs> she's got this vest and it looks like she's got, it's either two anchovies like sewn onto it or two pins <laughs> of these two like anchovies or sardines or something on her vest. She's got these giant flowy pants in bright colors. Mm -hmm. And then her shoes are like these kind of like high, like clogs with little heels on them as she clomps up the stairs. <laughs> and like, there's a lot of, there's a couple of vests in this whole episode. She's got mm -hmm. this yellow Timex digital watch on as well. And she kind of, she just comes across, uh, the more I looked at it, I'm like, she looks like a clown. She like looks like some sort of... <laughs> child entertainer in bright colors and like big clothes and it's just kind of uh yeah I, I don't know I just kept coming back to that as like what a strange like way to start your day I don't know <laughs> that's how Blossom starts every day <laughs> she just falls into her closet and chooses whatever happens to hit her body <laughs> mine is a technical moment mm. and it's Nick's white shirt <gasps> at the end of the episode. Mallory, do you the think pirate shirt? You're kind of technical with costumes too. So from what I recall and what we've seen of Nick's uniform, costume uniform, so to speak, he's always in jeans. He always has that kind of shirt, but they're typically darker. They're 
blacks. He has a lot of forest greens, navy blues. We have never seen him in a white shirt like this before. And, you know, it's kind of obvious, but white in costuming often points towards innocence, naivete, that sort of thing, like a sort of purity. So to see Nick in this white shirt for the first time ever at a moment where he's figuring out that he's not the father to me was a very like, I don't know if that's what they were doing, but I think that's what they were doing. And it was incredibly smart. Very interesting. I chose that outfit too, but not for that reason. I chose it because his that white shirt was puffier than his normal shirts. And um, I just kept thinking he looked like a pirate. I don't think it's puffier, but I think because it's white, we could cut, we clocked the lines. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I just thought it looked real puffy. <laughs> he always has those puffy shirts. Well, he's also a very skinny dude. Yeah. So he has puffy shirts in these very, very tight jeans, very fitted jeans. So they're always puffy, but because they're darker, we don't see the silhouette as much. Yeah, fair. I'm still going to call this pirate shirt. It's very much a pirate shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Scores out of five illegitimate children. <laughs> Jen? I love that scoring. <laughs> so I gave this a five. You know me, you know, Nick and Tony are like my favorite mm-hmm. characters. So I love any episode that especially kind of gets into their backstory and humanizes them a little bit. I think it was a really good lesson for a teenager about maybe kind of the shit their parents go through and you know, what a little bit of real life is. I love those episodes that touch on that. And also this could have been a four, but there were so many sweet, sweet burns in this episode. I made it a five. Yeah, it was well-written. So well-written. Tristan? Yeah, so I gave it a four out of five. I thought it like, you know, showing like, I guess four characters at different stages in their life, figuring out how to deal with these different topics around relationships, sex, and like these Either if they're not quite there, like Joey, like, you know, figuring out like what they're going to have to deal with or how they can process and understand this, I think was a really good, really well done. I only give it a four to five because I think I did have to watch it a couple times and it did. You'd have to put in some work to think about like, what were the characters actually like? How are they growing and doing? Like they tried to fit a lot in basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, I think it could have been one of the storylines, but they were really like, I guess, three storylines kind of going on in my mind around this topic. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was good. Uh, it wasn't as fun as the, as the like the previous episode where where I uh, you know was a guest host as well. Like it was, uh, I really liked that because that was a fun casual sit down watch a sitcom moment. Mm-hmm. This was much more like, yeah. If I had watched this as a teenager, I think would have been uh, helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I gave it a four and a half, four point five. I really liked that they didn't paint Arlene as a villain mm-hmm. or a slut, that she was just, she was in the exact same position as Nick. And just sometimes these things happen. I thought, I thought the listening from the stairs was very on brand for Blossom. Mm-hmm. The going incognito to the restaurant was a little far-fetched for her, a little bit of comedy slapstick, yeah. which is why I took off half a point. But uh, no, the writing was fantastic. There were, there were great lines in here and it was really well put together. So yeah. yeah. So thanks for joining me, Jen. Thanks, yeah. Tristan, for, for guest hosting again. Thanks, Tristan. Yeah, no problem. Uh, next week, we're looking at season one, episode 13, Love Stinks. And until then, always remember that Donald Duck doesn't need pants because he has feathers. We'll see you next mm-hmm. week. Bye. 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 Thanks. Thanks for listening to In My Opinionation. Don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. 
You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IamOpinionation, our website at IamOpinionation.com, or email us at OpinionationPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your opinionation about this or any future episodes. New episodes come out every Tuesday. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, the sun is going to surely shine.